<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Uh, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of The Complete Works, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith and joining me on this journey into the wondrous world of Goldblum is my friend, co-host and fellow Goldblum maniac. Mike Tricio. How you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. It's another exciting day to talk about a uh, mid-90s Goldblum movie I've never heard of or seen before. <laughs> so you had never heard of the movie we're talking about today, right, Mike? No, not at all. <laughs> okay, yeah. And uh, my familiarity with this one was just kind of my reputation of being a not very good movie. Uh, I think in our last episode, I mentioned, like, my main point of reference was a joke on The Simpsons <laughs> <laughs> for the movie we're talking about. Uh, so that's what we got here. But, uh, you know, in the mid-90s, an unlikely star started to emerge from Britain uh, who appeared in films that ended up being big hits in America. And uh, we're not talking about Jeff Goldblum here, although he did spend some time in Britain uh, yeah. making movies like The Tall Guy and uh, Favor the Watching the Very Big Fish. Those were not big hits in America. But in 1994, Hugh Grant would appear as the star in Four Weddings and a Funeral, uh, a romantic comedy written by a friend of the show, Richard Curtis, uh, who, wow. who uh, you know wrote The Tall Guy. That made a bunch of money, appeared on multiple critics' top 10 list of the year, and got nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. And so Hugh Grant was kind of something of an overnight sensation. As a result, he became a big subject for tabloids, uh, which did not sit well with Hugh Grant. He said over the years that uh, acting was not his calling, something he sort of just fell into. And he's spoken many times about his uh, disdain for the culture of celebrity that the media tends to create. But he found himself at the center of a huge media scandal in 1995. Uh, I'm not sure if you are familiar with this, Mike, because this happened like when we were very young. I've only kind of heard about this through like anecdotally a little bit I guess. <laughs> from I love the 90s is my only point of reference basically yeah but uh, on June 27th 1995 my second birthday by the way oh. uh, Hugh Grant was arrested by LA police for getting a blowjob in a public place from a Hollywood prostitute uh, and it was one of those things that the news cycle talked about for weeks this was like wow. second only to the OJ Simpson case in the 90s as like <laughs> just the insanity hype around this thing you know there's just nothing going on in 1995 is what <laughs> You're telling me. <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, what else did we have? We had Toy Story coming out. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, That's who, it. Yeah. Toy Story, much. Blowjobs and OJ. That's all that was happening. <laughs> exactly. That's the big three. That's what they call them. Yeah. Uh, and the thing about it was, you know, this occurred just two weeks before his next movie was supposed to be released, which meant Hugh Grant had already been booked on talk shows. <laughs> Oh, no. To make appearances and promote the new movie. Uh, and so this led to a pretty famous interview between Hugh Grant and Jay Leno on The Tonight Show, uh, which and this was Hugh Grant's very first public appearance uh, after the whole incident blew up. And The Tonight Show had just debuted a few years earlier. So this is like a really big get for them. I mean, The Tonight Show had been around for decades, but like The Tonight Show with Jay Leno had right. just uh, come around a couple years earlier. Uh, and that episode with Jay Leno and Hugh Grant, that episode ended up being the very first time 
time Leno beat Letterman in the ratings because people were so wrapped up in the scandal and Hugh Grant's like overnight stardom. Uh, so what was the movie that Hugh Grant was there to promote? Uh, it was actually Grant's first time starring in an American film uh, from a director who had seen a ton of success that decade. We are now talking 1995's Nine Months. Oh, baby, you were incredible. Well, I uh, aim to please. <laughs> An uncomplicated life. I live with the most beautiful, intelligent, sexy, lovely woman in the whole world. I, my practice is thriving. I, I'd, I'd say my life was dangerously close to perfection, actually. An unbelievable love. To stability. Honey! An unexpected surprise. I'm pregnant. Right. Right. What? Watch out! I thought you were using birth control. I was. It's only 97% effective. It says so right there on the box. So therefore, 3% completely bloody ineffective, huh? <laughs> they should put that on the box. You gotta burn all your old girlfriend's phone numbers and pictures. Lie down and close your eyes and you visualize the child of your dreams. Kid! What did I tell you about spitting in other people's food? Okay, let me get it ready for you, just... Run! Hugh Grant. You know, Beck, I was, I was just thinking, um... <laughs> we haven't actually made love for two months now. <laughs> Maybe we could fool around tonight. Check. In a romantic comedy. <laughs> what is it? It moved. Hmm? About one confused man. If you have a baby, that means he's got to grow up. Two people in love. My love, you all right? Go away. Right. And nine months in suspense. From the director of Mrs. Doubtfire. Nine months. You're going to inject that thing into my wife? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. See, that is why women have the babies, you see? Because men can't handle the power. So nine months doesn't exactly have the best reputation in the world. And Hugh Grant would be the first to tell you that uh, <laughs> in the years since this movie's release, uh, he's talked about how much he hates his own performance in the movie uh, and how he felt added pressure to deliver on his first American production. He said it was such a huge jump from what he was used to being paid for a movie. Uh, he went from getting getting 20,000 British pounds uh, on four weddings and a funeral to suddenly millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> to wow. star in nine months. And uh, as a result, he said he overacted, didn't do his best work. He really dislikes his performance in this movie. But the recipe was there for success. You had sudden superstar Hugh Grant, whose face was all over the tabloids. You had a strong supporting cast in a bankable romance movie. And you had a director who had made some of the top grossing films of the decade, Chris Columbus. Not the yeah. other Chris Columbus, the director Chris Columbus. Uh, <laughs> not the genocide one. Yeah, not that one. Columbus got his start as a screenwriter and uh, wrote a few big films in the 80s, uh, namely Gremlins and The Goonies. That was kind of his start. And then he made his directorial debut in 1987 with Adventures in Babysitting. Um, <laughs> but really broke out big in 1990 when he directed the highest grossing movie of that year, Home Alone. Wow. Wasn't Ghost? Uh, no, surprisingly, no. Ghost was not... <laughs> The wow. highest grossing movie of 1990. I think it was number two. 
That's fucked up. Right behind Home Alone, which, uh, you know, and Home Alone gets that got that, you know, sweet holiday release date, which kind of leads into January, February. And so there's not a lot of competition there. It's how Avatar became the biggest movie of all time for a while uh, and had Titanic do the same thing. Endgame had a little bit different, a little bit different story. But uh, yeah, but, you know, Avatar will beat it again in a couple years when it gets re-released. But Home Alone, the highest grossing movie of 1990. And then he'd also direct Home Alone 2 in 1992, which was the third highest grossing movie of that year. (laughs) Wow. Uh, So pretty huge successes right there. And then Mrs. Doubtfire in 1993, which was the second highest grossing movie of that year behind a movie that we've talked about on this podcast already. Of course, I'm talking about Lush Life. Uh, (laughs) uh, No, obviously Jurassic Park was number one in 93 and Mrs. Doubtfire right behind it. I want to go back to a time where a movie like Mrs. Doubtfire can be the second biggest movie of the year instead of like nine superhero movies and one like Pixar film kind of jumped in, (laughs) jumping in there. Yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire would be a next, uh, a Netflix original like movie of the week kind of thing. now. (laughs) absolutely. It would be part of the, uh, the huge slate of Disney plus announcements that they're making a sequel to or something like that's (laughs) God. Yeah, exactly. That's what it would be. Uh, it's, it's kind of nuts, uh, how much the landscape has changed in that time. But yeah, so Chris Columbus, on a pretty hot streak with with Can't Home miss. Alone, Home Alone 2, Mrs. Doubtfire, some of the biggest movies of that entire decade. That streak pretty much ends here. <laughs> <laughs> Nine months made money and uh, maybe even got a bit of a boost, actually, with all the publicity around the Hugh Grant arrest, uh, which, you know, again, happened just two weeks before, uh, but was not as big as the studio hoped it would be. Uh, Chris Columbus would follow it up with a similarly OK grossing movie called Stepmom. And then the box office bomb Bicentennial Man followed. Uh, so, yeah, he had, you know, a huge first half of the 90s and then a pretty low back half of the 90s. But don't worry, he came back in a pretty big way when he directed the first two Harry Potter movies uh, in the early 2000s. He's Chris, doing OK. Chris Columbus has had a wild career. Like, if you look yeah. at his filmography, it's insane. <laughs> and just in case you forgot what podcast you're listening to. Yes, Jeff Goldblum is in this movie. <laughs> yes, technically. Yes. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be a lot of like Hugh Grant talk in this episode because he's in like every scene of this movie and Jeff Goldblum is not. Uh, mm-hmm. But Goldblum is in the movie. He plays Sean Fletcher, an artist friend to Hugh Grant, who shows up eh, periodically throughout the movie. You know, he's probably yeah. he's probably got like three or four big scenes and then he's you know kind of done. Uh, Hugh Grant, the film star, is playing Samuel Faulkner, a man trying to come to grips with the fact that his girlfriend is pregnant. The girlfriend, Rebecca, is played by Julianne Moore. And this is actually really early in her career. At this point, she's probably best known to audiences for a very brief role in The Fugitive, uh, which I think she's like a nurse or something in that movie. And like, it's, it's been a while since I've seen the fugitive, uh, wow. <laughs> but I think she's only in like one or two scenes in a hospital and then she's basically done. But yeah, that's kind of like her biggest thing up to this point. So this is like a huge like role for her up till now. And then a couple years yeah. later, you got Lebowski and other stuff kind of coming through. But uh, yeah, so Sam and Rebecca end up meeting another couple who already have a bunch of kids and they become friends. Uh, Marty Dwyer is played by Tom Arnold uh, one year after true lies. That's my uh, Tom Arnold reference. I, I have yep. like no other basis for like, who Tom Arnold is other than he was in true lies and he dated Roseanne for like 10 years <laughs> or whatever. Or they, maybe That's they, all he did. Maybe they were married. I don't know. And Gail Dwyer, his wife is played by Joan Cusack, uh, who at this point had been in working girl and say anything and a couple of other movies uh, as well. And uh, there are a couple of well-known names among their kids too. Uh, one of them, Molly is played by Alexa Vega, who is Carmen in the spy kids movies. What? Uh, That's yeah. amazing. How did I not notice that? Uh, well, probably because you were so focused on noticing the other one, Mike. Uh, yes. <laughs> 
Another one of the kids, Shannon, is played by Ashley Johnson, a popular voice actor, probably best known as Ellie from The Last of Us and The Last of Us Part Two. Uh, and I know yeah. she's on Critical Role, or she's sometimes on Critical Role. What's the? What's I the think she's on, she she was on uh, sporadically because she was also on the NBC show Blind Spot, which right. probably. Pop culture wise, I guess generally that might be her biggest thing. But yeah, now I think now she's just full time on Critical Role. Okay, gotcha. But I, you, you think Blind Spot would be bigger than The Last of Us? I feel like people. I mean, in a general four quadrant kind of way. Okay, that's like, that's fair. I mean, I, I get that, but also like I I feel like I've, I hear people talk about The Last of Us, and I've he- and I've heard them talking about it for like seven years. Like that the, the convers- that's fair. The conversation around the game never stopped, and I feel like I heard people talk about Blind Spot for like. A couple weeks, or <laughs> when, it, when it first premiered, and uh, I, and I watched the first couple episodes of the show. It wasn't bad. I think you watched yeah. like, the first season or something. Yeah, just about. It was pretty fun, but it was a show like yeah, my mom and dad watched that, and they right. like watched the whole three or four seasons or whatever it was. Yeah, it's a real blue bloods kind of vibe. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, so Ashley Johnson, uh, kind of one of the kids in this movie, which is pretty cool. Uh, plus, we got a Mrs. Doubtfire reunion going on here. Uh, Robin Williams shows up as uh, the wacky Doctor Kosovich, uh, yeah. <laughs> which it definitely felt like okay, we had just worked together. It was fun to work together. Uh, here's 10 minutes to just do whatever you want. Robin Williams. Like, <laughs> yep. I mean, I think that's the best way you have Robin Williams be in your movie. Though. That's true. That's very true. Uh, his daughter, Zelda Williams actually also appears as one of the other kids in Julianne Moore's ballet class. A bunch of, uh, Chris Columbus's kids kind of pop up periodically throughout too. I think one of them is the ballet class. One of them in the hospital and that kind of stuff. Kristen Davis from sex in the city. Uh, she appears as a tennis attendant and that's who that was. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Were you a big Sex and the City fan, Mike? I didn't realize. No, but that was the first, not like particularly, but that <laughs> okay. was a face that I was like, I, that person is a regular big person now. Yes. Uh, and I couldn't remember who it is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, that's who it is. And uh, finally, at one point in the movie, uh, Hugh Grant and Tom Arnold get into a big fight with a giant dinosaur mascot named Arnie. Uh, mm-hmm. And he is played by Charles Martinet, the guy who has been the voice of Mario in all Mario video games since 1992. What? <laughs> He's only in like five or six movies. And this is one. <laughs> this is that's one. amazing. He also plays Luigi. He plays Wario. He plays Waluigi. <laughs> he does it all, Mike. <laughs> He can't stop. He can't stop. And as somebody who uh, just finished playing Super Mario Odyssey, uh, he's really good. He's good at his job. <laughs> what a great connection to have. Yeah, I love that. So, uh, so that that's, you know, <laughs> once he's got the voice of Mario, he's pretty much set for life. That's amazing. Uh, so <laughs> how did this movie not succeed? I don't understand. <laughs> it had Mario. It had Ellie. <laughs> Yeah, had Robin Williams. Granted, people didn't know who Ellie was at the time, but, you know, it's just like a a premonition thing. Like it will become important later. So nine months. It was actually based on a French film uh, called Noef Mois. Uh, I think I might have missed it. it. (laughs) Just keep going. Uh, Noef Mois. That's probably. Yeah, that's it. That's Uh, definitely it. Uh, which had actually just come out the year before. That was kind of a common practice in the 90s, too, where they would kind of take a, a recently hit French film on like the art house circuit and make a Hollywood remake of it uh, very, very quickly. Uh, the Birdcage was the same thing uh, with uh, Nathan Lane and uh, Hank Azaria. Is that who's in? Who's and in Robin Williams. Oh, yeah. Robin Williams. Also in that movie. Weird. Hank Azaria is in it also. Yes. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I, my mind had cast Hank Azaria in the Robin Williams role. It's been a long ah. time since I've seen The Birdcage. But that, was, that was like my friend's favorite movie growing up. I've seen it a couple of times. This was 
Also based on a French film, the screenplay was written by Chris Columbus and Patrick Baraud, who was the director, writer, and star of the original film. And Chris Columbus directed two years after Mrs. Doubtfire and three years before Stepmom. Uh, Columbus kind of slowed down in recent years and has been acting more as a producer. Uh, he actually helped launch the career of Robert Eggers and was an executive producer on The Witch in the Lighthouse. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. There's actually a really good interview with uh, Chris Columbus and Robert Eggers in Fangoria magazine, uh, which was a few months back. It's a little while ago, but I read it recently and it's, it's really, really solid. Uh, awesome. But he recently returned to the director's chair for The Christmas Chronicles 2 uh, with uh, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn, which just hit Netflix a few weeks ago. Wow. I don't think I knew that was a Chris Columbus movie. Yeah. You know, he produced the first one, didn't direct it. And then he directed the second one, uh, which is kind of odd. Usually it's not that. Usually it's the other way around. If, right. If that's how it's going to work. Uh, but yeah, he directed that one. So that's just hit Netflix and it's been in the top 10 ever since because like, it's Christmas time. People are watching it. So, yeah, kind of cool. Nine Months came out on July 14th, 1995, and opened in third place at the box office, just under another movie opening that weekend, the Steven Seagal action movie, Under <laughs> Siege 2, Dark Territory. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, so there was that. Uh, also opening that weekend was the Frank Oz-directed children's fantasy movie, uh, The Indian in the Cupboard. I don't know if you uh, oh, yeah. were a fan of that movie as a kid, but uh, yeah, there you go. Also in the top 10, Apollo 13 took the top spot in its third week. Uh, the original Species was in there. Uh, Disney's Pocahontas, Batman Forever, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie, and uh, the Sylvester Stallone version of Judge Dredd uh, rounding, out, <laughs> rounding out the top 10. That is a absolutely fucking wild top 10. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of variety there. There's a lot of like different stuff. <laughs> Throw it in there. You could do a double feature of the Indian in the cupboard and Judge Dredd, Mike. That's a thing you could have done. <laughs> There's something for the whole family in that top 10. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the IMDb plot synopsis for nine months reads when he finds out his longtime girlfriend is pregnant, a commitment phobe realizes he might have to change his lifestyle for better or much, much worse. Uh <laughs> So, Mike, like uh, like we were saying, you had never heard of this movie before, and I had only heard it based on like reputation of being bad. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, so what were you expecting going into nine months and what did you think coming out of it? What were your overall thoughts on the movie? Um, so for nine months, it was kind of a, one of those things sort of like Hideaway last week where it's like this has all the parts of a thing that I like. But judging by the fact that I've never heard of it, it must not really be that good. Yeah. Um, you know, like Hugh Grant, Julianne Moore, Jeff Goldblum, Tom Arnold, Joan Cusack, mid 90s, like kind of wacky rom com, Chris Columbus. Like on paper, this should be a goal, like, you know, smash hit kind of thing. Right. And ultimately, I think I think it kind of mostly comes together for me. I wouldn't say that I would be clamoring to rewatch this by any means, but I wasn't mad. It, it's like, you know, an hour and 40 minutes, I think, or so. And that, that, that is one of the problems that like it, it spends an hour doing like the rom-com silly first time you know what to expect when you're expecting thing which is fun uh and then an hour in oh we got to break up because it's a rom-com movie thing and then <laughs> we spend 20 minutes broken up and then okay there's 20 minutes left come back together uh and then here we go we resolve everything and have a happy ending so like you know it was if it maybe it was a little trimmed down or or if that them having split up was a little earlier like if because you get an like i think it's literally an hour or 55 minutes in or something yeah uh, when that happens, I might have been a little more invested, but because it happens so late, kind of like in uh, The Tall Guy, I think it happens very, like, very close to the end where you're yep. like, well, 
this is pointless because we know it's going to happen in five in 15 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, but otherwise, I think it's it's for the most part, it was fine. It was it's like, you know, I had got some chuckles, which is the most you can hope for sometimes in these kind of movies. Uh, I wasn't like actively turned off by it. Hugh Grant is Hugh Grant and he's charming and and handsome. It's not uh, anything like he was in uh, The Layer of the White Worm, which is like the greatest revelation <laughs> I've ever had about Hugh Grant. Yeah. Um, but that's a perfect movie. So sure. what can be? No. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's charming. He's fun. Uh, Julianne Moore is great. Tom Arnold's constantly kissing Hugh Grant is hilarious, even though it's really not even that funny at all. But it's still <laughs> Tom Arnold. It's a funny person. Uh, so that was fun. Um, yeah. So like overall, it's a three. It's a big old three, you know, Okay. which, that, which we talked about yeah. last week, I think, is the most versatile of all scores ever. That all encompassing three uh, from Mike DeCrucio here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think nine months is a little bit better than I had been led to believe it was. Uh, it's mm-hmm. still not very good. Uh, but, but I think it yeah. is fairly watchable, kind of charming in places. Uh, you know, the weird thing about this, uh, I feel like because I, I was kind of looking over Hugh Grant's filmography to like see what I had seen him in. And I realized I hadn't really seen a lot of Hugh Grant movies, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, because a lot of his stuff is like in the romantic comedy genre, which has not really been my genre historically. And so, you know, he's in like Notting Hill and Love Actually and Four Weddings and a Funeral. And these are all movies that I've heard very good and I have not seen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think looking through his filmography, I know he was the bad guy in Paddington 2. Uh, which, and I've heard he's amazing in it. Uh, I still, yeah. I still haven't seen Paddington two. I've heard it's a masterpiece. Uh, one, True. one of these days I'm going to watch it, but uh, I know he was the bad guy in that. I think looking through it, the two movies I most associate with Hugh Grant are the Lair of the white worm, which you just mentioned, uh, yep. and cloud Atlas, uh, which, wow. which are very different movies from like the typical Hugh Grant persona, uh, which is on like full display in nine months. This is yes. like, you know, what you get out of a Hugh Grant movie. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what this feels like. And I, this is he's one another person that uh, like are similar to you where I haven't seen a whole lot of his stuff, but I have seen some of it where it's like the stereotypical Hugh Grant, like the typical like when you cast Hugh Grant in a romantic comedy, you're going to get this. Right. Uh, and that is fully what nine months is. Yeah. And he's and that was like his thing for a long time in the 90s and early 2000s. He's really been trying to break away from that in recent years. It seems like I know he was the star yeah. of the new HBO show, The Undoing. That's right. Uh, right. That like mini series with him and Nicole Kidman, I think. Uh, yeah. And I've heard it was pretty. I've heard his performance was amazing. And I've heard it was a pretty good show up until the end where the ending disappointed a lot of people from what I understand. But yeah, it is like a very it's a much darker like that's a murder mystery type thing. And like, oh, who killed the person? And was it Hugh Grant? Who knows? And right. That kind of thing. So like there's you know, he's trying to do some darker material and kind of stretch from what he uh, was known for in the 90s, which totally makes sense, uh, especially when a lot of the stuff he did in the 90s was stuff like nine months, uh, which, you know, I think. Yeah, I think the problem with this movie really to me is that Hugh Grant's character is just completely unlikable. But he's also like innately sort of likable on screen. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Like so there's a little bit of a back and forth like between like those two extremes, I guess. Like I I went from like, you know, being kind of like, okay, this is kind of fun. Like it's Hugh Grant. And he's like, like, oh, the big marriage. And like, oh, yeah. And he's like foppish and, you know, like a little bit like, you know, awkward and things like that. And then like, you know, he's just acting like a dick for like half the movie. And it's like, well, okay, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's only so many ways, so many times you can stammer your way out of an awkward situation before I'm like, well, okay, 
All right, come on. <laughs> you got to make a decision on something. Right. How, um, how have you lived your life up to this point? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how have you made it this far? Yeah. You know, it's funny. He's also in, uh, was it The Gentleman? The, the guy oh, Richie yeah, movie last yes. year? Yeah, which he was great in, by the way. That was actually, yeah. that was like, he was on on my short list of like, that was this year. That was January of this year, by the way. What? Time. Yes. Oh my fucking God. We reviewed it on this podcast. And yeah, you're right. And he is really good in that movie. And uh, I know that's a movie that you were kind of mixed on. I was a little bit more positive on it. Uh, but I think we were both just like, Hugh Grant was really good in this. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, it's funny. I meant right, to, let's, let's talk about Mank for a second uh, with <laughs> on this episode. I went to, I met, I wanted to draw a connection to the gentleman actually because i forgot about it with like the weird disingenuous film digital thing because there's that moment in the gentleman where hugh grant's pitching his screenplay and he's like right we're gonna shoot this on 35 millimeter none of that bullshit digital stuff yeah and then they like insert the film thing like the you know the soundtrack whatever right and it's like well you shot this on digital you can't do that in a movie shot on digital anyway back to nine months um I mean, I, th- yeah. I think with at least at least with the gentleman, I think it's it's a very quick like you know thing. Which yeah. is like suddenly it's film and it's back to digital kind of thing. Like it's not. Yeah. It's not like the whole movie is attempting to look as if it's film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which Mank was, and watch the lighthouse instead. <laughs> you can listen back to our Mank episode of Mike Mike Go to the Movies for full context <laughs> yeah. on that last thirty seconds of this podcast. Sorry, but in conclusion, Guy Ritchie is a better director than David Fincher. Continue, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, Chris Columbus is really the cinematic uh, pinnacle, uh, and it's not full on full display where you can watch Tom Arnold, Hugh Grant uh, wrestle the Mario voice guy, apparently. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think what's weird about this movie, it plays like a pretty conventional romantic comedy. Right. And it's, you know, it's you know silly and funny, uh, but it also has like that madcap streak that the other Goldblum romantic comedies had. Right. Like the tall guy yeah. in favor of the watch and the very big fish. Like there's a lot of like wacky situations that happen <laughs> in nine months. Uh, and, you know, I'm generally all for that. Like, I'm all for, you know, crazy stuff happening in my movies. Uh, but I think once the two characters get married, it feels like the movie should be wrapping up. Like, it feels like it should be over, you know? Yeah. And that's like, you know, uh, like, I've had about as much wackiness as I can take <laughs> in mm-hmm. nine months. And then instead, it's an extra, like, 25 minutes with more wacky hijinks, more tacked on conflict, outrageous situations. Uh, and it, it kind of like it really lost steam for me in that last like half hour, even though like theory, like on its own, I think I enjoyed a lot of that stuff. But it's just yeah. like it's just so much more like I was ready for the movie to be done. You know, it felt like it was yeah. all wrapped up. The emotional arc had finished. He accepted the fact that he wanted a baby. You need like a five minute epilogue where they have the baby and then you can end the movie. And instead, it's like this whole half hour thing where, you know, there's craziness and wackiness and people are getting hit by cars and there's fights in the emergency room and, you know, all this stuff. If you got Robin Williams, you're going to use him, man. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I mostly agree with that, where it's just kind of like, all right, if this had been moved forward 20 minutes uh, into this runtime, I think I'd be on board. I also think it doesn't help that, like, this movie was sort of remade a decade later uh, with Knocked Up. Uh, which, yeah. <laughs> which I think is a much better movie. I, I, you know, Knocked Up is a movie that I liked a lot when it came out, and I haven't watched it in a few years. I would guess like parts of it haven't aged all that well. I never really liked like how it portrays Catherine Heigl's character, but at least it is like mostly from her point of view, which it was what it kind of like. It's you know parallel, and it's like kind of both of their points of view, Catherine Heigl and Seth Rogen. Uh, yeah. But this movie, it's like entirely from Hugh Grant's perspective, and Julianne Moore, who is the one actually having the baby, uh, is you know kind of a side character. <laughs> Yeah, she's the one that just doesn't understand. Uh, <laughs> it's like, well, maybe, maybe not, yeah. you know? 
<laughs> right. I mean, the, like the protagonist is in the wrong the whole time and the movie's about him, like understanding that he's in the wrong and actually realizing he wants a family and stuff like that. But it is just like, OK, like, <laughs> like I feel like I needed a little bit more from Julian Julianne Moore's perspective, basically, instead of just I think that would have really leveled out some of the uh, the dickishness of Hugh Grant, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, was it shooting Elizabeth that just like fully is on board with? Yeah, a murder plot's good. Um, <laughs> right. But that's also like a very dark comedy, too. Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. But I just mean that was one of the things that at least I think in the uh, Netflix or the Letterboxd reviews that like people were like, you're just fully on board with the guy that wants to kill his life <laughs> the whole movie. Um, and this is kind of the same thing. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, so what did you think of Jeff Goldblum in nine months, Mike? As a reminder, Jeff Goldblum is in nine months. <laughs> Technically, months. yes. We, we haven't mentioned him in a while, but he is in the movie. Yeah, uh, I think he's he's fun. He gets to be like the hot, sexy 90s, like one ear pierced <laughs> Goldblum. Uh, and that's like a plot point um, yeah. that he helps uh, Hugh Grant get his ear pierced after he breaks up or after Julianne Moore leaves him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he's fun. It's kind of weird, you know, like uh, we've sort of talked about, he's got this just kind of like raw attractiveness thing going on in a lot of his movies. But this one, like that's his whole character is that he's just like a hot artist guy. Right. And he's like the cool friend and they all go to his big beach house on the weekends and stuff. But he's fun. He's fun as a comedic relief kind of guy and like a foil to, to Hugh Grant's like a fear of commitment, I guess. Um, but it is actually really interesting too. I think to see them together, there's a couple of scenes where it's like just them having a side conversation and they're, have like they're very similar actors and characters in general i think there's a lot of like stammering and like aw shucksness to it yes uh i think in this movie goldblum's character is more confident in general like he doesn't have that like kind of aw shucks thing going on right but he does he does have a lot of the similar delivery and mannerisms that hugh grant does so it's pretty funny to see them like literally having conversations about these things while doing the same same exact <laughs> delivery on some some stuff yeah definitely i think yeah jeff goldman's fun in the movie uh he is like the loose artist friend of hugh grant uh only in a few scenes but always entertaining whenever he's on screen and honestly i feel like the movie should have been about him i know this is like a jeff yeah. goldman <laughs> podcast so we might be biased uh, mm-hmm. But I think he, his story is a little bit more interesting than Hugh Grant's is, where Hugh Grant is just this guy who doesn't want to take responsibility for having a kid. And Jeff Goldblum is like, you know, sort of a cautionary tale for Hugh Grant. He's someone who also loved his single life, but, uh, you know, his wife left him for the same reasons. Like she wanted to have a baby and he didn't. And so, you know, she's gone and he's realizing like now that she's gone, you know, he's kind of going through this phase where he's dating like all these young women and he's realizing he wants something more in life and doesn't know how to get it and all that stuff like this. A lot more to Jeff Goldblum's character in this movie than there is to Hugh Grant's. And it felt oh, like absolutely. every time we were watching Jeff Goldblum's like, hmm, maybe we should be following him instead. <laughs> Even if the entire movie was just him like partying with young women uh, or whatever, like that would be I mean, it basically just be thank God it's Friday. Um, right. But, but it would still be, I think, a much more entertaining movie. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing we talked about with Lush, Lush Life, where it's like Forrest Whitaker has a story that's like perfectly fits the, the the thing, the situation that's happening. And you're like, well, wait a second. I want to know more about you. Yeah. Uh, we don't really get it in that movie, but this is a kind of, not, obviously not with the same like weight um, <laughs> in nine months, but go blooms, you know, like you said, has the kind of cautionary tale version of everything. And there, there's a funny moment at one point where he's like, no, I would never, I would never tell you that. I would never tell you to let everything go. And he's like, no, literally you told me that. And like, <laughs> the, you know, he, he realizes like, you know, this is at the point where he's realized that his life isn't, 
wasn't worth it <laughs> at this right. point. He, he, he threw it all away to chase young women instead. So yeah, yeah, he's, he's very good in this. Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, you know, speaking of lush life, uh, kind of talking about the roles that uh, we've seen Goldblum play so far, I think this might be a sequel to lush life, like a secret yeah. sequel to that movie. Cause Goldblum is still playing a starving artist, uh, whose wife recently left him, uh, who spends his time creating art and dating young women. That's his character in lush life. Uh, Whoa. and I'm wondering if like after lush life ends and like Forrest Whitaker's character dies and uh, Kathy Baker's character leaves Goldblum uh, if he decides to pack up, leave the New York jazz scene and uh, join up with the San Francisco jazz scene or maybe become just a painter. And that's that's his life now. Changes his name. Yeah. Witness protection or whatever. This yeah. is a sequel to Lush Life. That's my uh, my headcanon for nine months. It's it's a trilogy with Framed where he gets out of the yes. art forgery business, goes into the New York jazz scene uh, in Lush Life. That gets blown up and he goes back to art. But this time for the hotel room scene. Right. Or whatever that's <laughs> that joke. They make fun of his art in this movie. Yes. Uh, he has the long hair in all three movies, by the way. And that's right. uh, he kind of has the same look in all three. It's that artist kind of look that he has. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think you're right. Framed lush life. Nine months. The full artist gold balloon trilogy. <laughs> He just wants to wheel on that saxophone ski, man. Or That's right. <laughs> Dig on that, comrade. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, otherwise, I mean, what, what other movies do you think this fits in with uh, with Jeff Goldblum, Mike? Uh, well, the tall guy, I think, is the most obvious one. Yeah. Um, I think it actually has a connection to Hideaway because there's a first act car accident that has absolutely yep. zero danger involved. <laughs> um, yeah. And also there's a, a full body insect prosthetics. So the fly. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> You are 100% right. I didn't even think about that. But yes, <laughs> that is true. Uh, that is very true. Uh, yeah. And I, I also thought of Hideaway like immediately as soon as the car crash happened. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, we're veering towards a tractor trailer. Yeah. Hideaway. <laughs> like, are they going to be teetering off a, uh, off a yeah. anytime soon? And it's, and it's a similarly, it's a similar thing where it's like the, th- the crash comes out of nowhere, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Like, like we mentioned before, like the hideaway crash is literally like the wet hot American summer scene where he's just Mm -hmm. suddenly like veering off the road and hitting a tree. And that is this scene also. It's, it's exactly (laughs) the same. But yeah, I think the tall guy, the favorite to watch from Very Big Fish, also like romantic comedies with a wacky side to them. Uh, I think the difference here though is that this is a a big budget, you know, Hollywood studio film directed by Chris Columbus. And it has that very kind of glossy 90s Chris Columbus sheen to it, you know, that, that very family comedy thing that he did. But it's a little bit edgier than like the family movies he made earlier, too, because it has I think it has a couple of F-bombs. He lets Robin Williams kind of like, you know, do his crazy thing and, you know, all that stuff. Uh, So it's so it's a little bit different than that. But it has like that same sheen. I I don't even know how to explain it other than sheen. Like they feel shiny in a way. Yeah, you know, (laughs) it's it's definitely uh, highly stylized and not even in like a cool John Wick way, <laughs> just like <laughs> the Chris Columbus touch. Exactly. Yeah. If, if you have seen Mrs. Doubtfire and home alone, like, you know what those movies look like. That's what nine months looks like. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> basically. Uh, but yeah, so I think uh, it is a little bit more like sanitized than those like weird British romantic comedies, <laughs> like mm-hmm, the tall guy. Definitely. Uh, but it captures a little bit of the same wackiness too. So let's, let's run down the movie scene by scene. Talk about nine months. Uh, first off the uh, Chris Columbus production logo, 1492 pictures, uh, which he really leaned into the, uh, the Columbus connection for a while. And I feel like he's kind of leaned away from that in recent, <laughs> in recent. I years. was thinking about, I wonder how much he regrets that now. <laughs> 
yeah, so the production logo comes up and the the opening scene is uh, Sam and Rebecca, Hugh Grant and Julianne Moore on a beach uh, celebrating their five year dating anniversary. And at first, like, oh, wow, five years together. And it's like, oh, wow, they've married for five years. And then like in conversation, they're like, we've been dating for five years. What do you want? Marriage or something? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, the big M. <laughs> oh, marriage. <laughs> Nobody calls it that, Hugh Grant. Yeah. Uh, and so Rebecca sees a kid on the beach while they're you know out there. And she's like kind of looking at it wistfully uh, and is saying, like, do you want more in life? Like, you know, she she's like trying to start the conversation about maybe like having kids, getting married and all that stuff. Like, I'm over 30 and I'm just thinking about it. And and then you know, Hugh Grant's like, oh, we don't need kids. Our life is perfect. <laughs> and he's like, to- a toast to no kids. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then he is like standing up and uh, he gets hit in the head with a kite. Yes. Uh, and that's when the Dwyers show up and they will continue to show up periodically throughout the movie to terrorize <laughs> Hugh Grant, basically. <laughs> Here comes the big Tom Arnold. Yeah. So Tom Arnold, Marty, he like he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. And he's given like Sam unnecessary CPR. He's like, you know, on the, on yeah. the ground. It's like, like, I'm going to save you and all that stuff. And meanwhile, the kids, Ashley Johnson, Alexa Vega, they're like, you know, eating their food like out of <laughs> out of the picnic, out of that basket, picnic basket and yeah. just like and like spitting it out. And it's like, oh, that caviar costs like sixty five dollars an ounce. So whatever. He's, you know, the foppish British, you know, Hugh Grant. Yeah, yeah we get it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they meet the Dwyers and it kind of like reinforces Hugh Grant's points that like, hey, kids are bad. We don't want kids. Our life is great. We have a Porsche. Yeah, we don't end up like these schmucks. (laughs) Uh, And the craziest part of all is that Sam is a child psychotherapist. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, he works with kids all the time and you see him in a session and the kids like my dad's an asshole and all that stuff. Meanwhile, Rebecca is a ballet teacher, so she also works with kids all the time. They're they're like constantly surrounded by kids. Uh, yeah. But for whatever reason, Hugh Grant has never learned how to speak or be around children uh, at all. He's a, he's a child psychotherapist. Right. <laughs> Somehow he apparently helps children overcome trauma, but he can't talk to them. Yeah, exactly. And like the idea of having one himself is just completely out of the question. Uh, and so Sam shows up at uh, Rebecca's work, the ballet school, and he picks her up and they're driving and they're driving along. And then as they're driving, Rebecca reveals that she is pregnant. Uh, And as soon as she says that, Sam crashes the car into a bulldozer. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically the, oh, fuck. And then they crash. (laughs) Uh, Which did result in a pretty funny line as soon as as soon as they like slow down like they they basically like just miss the bulldozer and like are just like stop right in front of it. And she's like, well, I guess you don't want the baby. Yeah. yeah, this movie does have like a couple like pretty good laugh. Moments. Yeah, some pretty solid like sitcomy kind of laugh moments, yeah. you know, and they're they're pretty good. Uh, so, yeah, they're arguing about it, like, you know, uh, on the way home. And she's like, well, yeah, use birth control. It's only 90 percent effective. And it's like, well, the, like they said so right in the box. And Hugh Grant's like, well, they should put three percent ineffective on the box. I hate kids, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I'm a man. <laughs> that's all going down. And they finally arrive. At Goldblum's house. They show up at Jeff Goldblum's house. That's yeah. where they were going. Uh, it's kind of have like a weekend away at Goldblum's beach house. And when they get there, they discover that uh, Goldblum's got like uh, this young blonde girl with him, you know, looking like in her mid 20s or whatever. Uh, and they're like, oh, what happened to Christine? And they're trying to figure that out. And so Sam and Goldblum kind of go off on their own. And Goldblum's talking about the girl that he's with. And he's like, oh, man, her her breasts are like sponge cake and her calves are like chocolate. She's she's highly edible. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) like a very creepy way to describe another person, but kind of funny because it's gold. It's funny. It's it's a it's a pretty funny line. Uh, And so uh, he reveals that Christine has left him one week ago because uh, she wanted kids. 
and he didn't. Uh, and, you know, Hugh Grant's still reeling from the news that uh, Julianne Moore is pregnant. And he's figuring out like what he's going to do. Uh, and he's asked, he's trying to figure out like if she had sex behind his back. They, they keep saying on the sly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is a weird thing, uh, because that's not a phrase that people use commonly. <laughs> I <feel> like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they say it like a bunch of times within a couple minutes of each other. Right. As if it's like a Coen Brothers joke where it's like the yeah. repetition like starts to like be funny. And it kind of is, but like it's just it seems out of character also. Yeah. Like this is this he's, isn't a Coen Brothers movie. This is a Chris Columbus comedy. It's a pretty mainstream <laughs> deal, you know? Yeah, he's taking an interest. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wonder if it's just like a thing. Like a, uh, I wonder if it is just one of those like repetition joke bits. Because like I think I think Julianne Morris says it first. Uh, like, what do you think? I got pregnant on the sly, and yeah. then like it keeps coming up a couple like within those few minutes. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's one of those like haha comedy <laughs> right. moments they, that this movie has. They fly now. They fly now. They fly now. <laughs> <laughs> the supreme version of that joke. Uh, yes. But uh, yeah, so basically like while they're talking, uh, I think it's Goldblum that says something about praying mantises, right? And he's saying yes. like how praying mantises, when they, you know, have sex and they are able to mate and have a baby, uh, the, the female praying mantis eats the father. So I closed the iron door, denied her my essence. You know, I, I, I'm not ready to be uh, biologically extraneous. She would have devoured me from the head down, you know, chewed up my manhood swallowed my youth and gobbled me up like some praying mantis not for me what do you mean praying mantis you know the female mantis after she has sex with her mate she eats him oh yeah some voodoo woman who stays up night puts pins in her diaphragm huh spooky sam jesus that's a she snake that's like the most hateful cruel sneaky horrible thing you can do who would do that? Uh, and so at this point, Sam has a vision of Rebecca as a praying mantis, like in this like giant, like green suit. <laughs> well, this the first time it's like nature footage. Oh, yeah, you're right. Like a documentary yeah. footage. Yeah, it's actually documentary uh, footage. But there's also, I think, a Dr. Strangelove line reference in this this moment, too, where they're having this discussion between Goldblum and, and Hugh Grant. And he's at, like he's saying, like, oh, Christine left me because she I wouldn't you know have sex with her. I, would, I didn't want to have a baby. And I forget what he says exactly what Hugh Grant says exactly. Goldblum responds with, no, I just merely denied her my essence, uh, which is a <laughs> quote is, from Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, that is a Dr. Strangelove line. You're right. <laughs> Look at that in Chris Columbus movie. Yeah, there you go. Layers, man. Layers. Yeah. I want to know if there's a Dr. Strangelove reference in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> if there's any place to sneak one in there, it's, it's, it's got to be. <laughs> yeah. He has this vision of Rebecca as a praying mantis, sees like the documentary footage and wakes up. Uh, and he's like, they eat the father. And, you know, so he's still like freaking out. And Julianne Moore's in the bed with him and she's trying to comfort him. And, you know, they're talking about it a little bit. And uh, he's like, oh, well, oh, you know, I like the when you do that thing with my knee. And she's like, what am I doing to your knee? And then <laughs> the Dwyer <laughs> kid uh, is in bed with them. One of the, like the little girls from the Dwyer family. Yes. There, and is in the bed, like rubbing Hugh Grant's knee, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> and then they all like freak out. and It's like, oh, what's going on? And there's a lot of screaming in this movie, I feel like. too. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I think that's part of the like madcap shenanigans that like kind of get a little tiring by right. the end. Or like we're starting in the ve- like five minutes in the movie and Tom Arnold's like mouth to mouth Frenching Hugh Grant. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like we started a pretty high 
bar. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we just keep going. Eventually, you're like, all right, come on, come on. <laughs> like, take a breath, please. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Dwyers turn out, turns out they are also at Goldblum's house uh, because, of course, they are. Uh, and yeah. uh, it turns out Gail, uh, Joan Cusack, is actually Goldblum's sister in the movie. So they, you know, hang out a lot. And Shannon Dwyer, Ashley Johnson, really into romance novels, uh, professes her love <laughs> for Sam. And uh, she slaps him when she's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And psh, uh, <laughs> So that scene was pretty good. Pretty funny. Pretty funny. Who, who, whomst among us wouldn't demand that Hugh Grant marry us in 1995? <laughs> this is true. Maybe like pre June 27th, 1995. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Afterwards, maybe not as much, but yeah, that, that happens. And then there's this, uh, this big fight at like the lunch table that they have. Uh, so like Marty and Gail announced the Dwyers that they are having another kid. And Sam is still reeling from this news that, uh, he, uh, Julianne Moore is also pregnant. Uh, and so they get into like a big argument about it and all that stuff. And, you know, and nobody else knows that Julianne Moore is pregnant yet, but Sam, Sam makes some kind of like snide comment about, you know, them having another kid or whatever. And like, you are rude. And they start yelling. And then Goldblum's like on Sam's side and he's yelling at Gail. And, and you know, there's he's like, there's too many starving children in the world. And she's like, there's too many starving artists and all that stuff. That was such a good line. That too. was a solid burn. Yeah. <laughs> fucking wrecked Goldblum. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Gail is also pregnant. And then we leave Goldblum's house. Rebecca outlines this whole list of reasons why they should not have the baby. But then she says, I still want to keep the baby. Uh, it's, you know, it's growing inside me. It's part of me now. I want to do this. And Sam like kind of just goes along with it. He lies and is like, yes, I want to do that also. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> how do you think British people sound? Like? Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's how British people sound. I think it's how Hugh Grant sounds. Okay. That's yeah. That tracks <laughs> specifically. Hugh Grant is like a British Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Yes, 100%. Oh, yes, quite, quite. Yeah, so he goes along with it, and this is when there's another praying mantis dream. Yes. Uh, and this one is literally just like a giant green praying mantis costume. That, yeah. Uh, I'm assuming Julianne Moore's not in. I hope it is. I don't know. <laughs> She's a method actor. She studied praying mantises for six weeks to, uh, to prepare yes. for the role. <laughs> Locked herself in a cabin with uh, praying mantis so they could learn each other's facial tics. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's like a, it's like a vision where, you know, they, they have just had sex and she's like, oh, man, that was incredible. Now it's time for dinner. And it's like, for dinner, she looks over and she's a giant green <laughs> bodysuit with a praying mantis head. I wonder if it makes sense that uh, like I'm picture I'm trying to picture or draw a connection between gremlins and Chris Columbus and this bodysuit. Oh, man, I, I would and love it if Chris Columbus came back with an insane like horror comedy type thing like gremlins. <laughs> That'd be amazing. It'd be so good. Uh, but yeah, this vision happens. And then the uh, they go to the doctor and the regular yes. doctor is out. The doctor that they're supposed to go see is not there. So they got to go meet with Dr. Kosovich, uh, who is Robin Williams doing a Russian accent. And uh, love it. <laughs> this is literally just like, OK, and now we're going to take a break from the plot of this movie for about 10 minutes to just let Robin <laughs> Williams go fucking wild. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this scene is it, it is absolutely like a complete distraction it has nothing to do with the movie it completely derails it. Yeah, but it's Robin Williams. It's very sure. fun. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I don't disagree with you. I think he is his pretty entertaining in the movie. Uh, and, you know, he talks about, you know, he's a doctor, but he's mostly worked with rats, not with humans. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, there's this big blow up when he gives them the wrong conception dates. Uh, like he's yeah. going through the computer and it's like, okay, your baby will be due, uh, you know, December 8th. And it was conceived on March 17th. And Hugh Grant realizes he wasn't in town on March 17th. So how could this be? She must've slept with someone else. And he's like freaking out. And it's a lot more screaming and being like, ah, and then he's like, okay, no, I had it wrong. Uh, 
I had you down as a simian. Uh, <laughs> yes. And he changed, changes it to human. Oh, look, there we go. And it gets the right dates. Yes. Yeah, so it was actually conceived on March 23rd, due on December 15th. Uh, there's a big physical comedy bit where Robin Williams is messing with a chair, uh, which is probably the best thing he does in this movie. Uh, it's like the, cha- the chair with like the stirrups that pregnant women go on to like, you know, be examined. And like he's just messing with the chair. and It's like flipping all over the place and it's, it's like closing yeah. and opening and stuff. It's it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And then they just literally run out. Yeah, exactly. He just says, run, and they get out of there. <laughs> uh, and then when they get out of there, it turns out the Dwyers are also there. <laughs> oh, man. What are the chances? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so they uh, they try to lie about it, but the Dwyers discover that they are also pregnant uh, when Robin Williams comes out and is like, by the way, you, you left this, you know, in the in the room with me. Uh, and also, you're going to need to get rid of a cat. Do you have a cat? You got to get rid of it. And <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, kind of thing, uh, which I had never heard of before that you have to get rid of a cat if you have a baby, which uh, I, I would guess most people don't get rid of their cats. Yeah, I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, there you go. And, uh, you know, when when they're you know talking about it and the Dwyers are walking them out, they mention, uh, hey, you're going to need to get a new car. That Porsche isn't good for a family. It only sees two people. Uh, and at this point, you know, Hugh Grant's like, I'm losing my cat. I'm losing my car. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is I, I was told this wasn't going to change anything. And now it's changing everything. He just has a a, a mid 30s male meltdown, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and so now, like, they're kind of like sort of friends with the Dwyers. Right. And uh, yeah, there's a scene where they all they're all shopping and Rebecca and Gail are kind of off on their own. And Sam and Marty are kind of off on their own. And Rebecca and Gail are talking and Rebecca's saying, like, you know, if Sam doesn't shave up, I'm thinking of leaving him. Like she says that, like, right there. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, man, that's that's pretty straightforward. That's the, <laughs> that's like, yeah. Uh, that's fair. And so it kind of sets the stakes for later in the movie. Uh, and then Sam and Marty are shopping and Marty's buying all this boy stuff because he knows it's going to be a boy. It's in the way that, uh, you know, Gail's carrying the kid and <laughs> yeah. stuff like that. Uh, and that's when they run into Arnie the dinosaur, uh, which is a very thin parody of Barney the dinosaur. <laughs> I'm the thinnest at best. Yeah. Uh, and he's just there selling products. He's like, oh, well, you should go buy a Barney play sets or <laughs> yeah. go buy a VHS copy of Barney of Arnie and friends and all that stuff. Uh, and, you know, they're passing by and Marty's like, oh, no, thanks. Not today, Arnie. And it's like, OK, you cheap shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And Arnie just starts insulting Tom Arnold and he's like, your penis head, you, you fat ass pussy. And yeah, <laughs> all in voice. He yeah. never breaks character. Yeah. And it's, it's which is pretty great. I feel like as we're talking about it, I'm like, is nine months not bad? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a solid three, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's 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 all right. It's all right. Uh, but yeah, so Mar- Marty and Arnie and Sam, they all have a big <laughs> fight in the store. Uh, like, you know, Ar- Arnie just keeps shouting at him and they keeps like spouting insults and they're like super profane. Uh, yeah. And which, again, I- I'm pretty sure this movie is PG-13, which is like impressive I- for the amount of cursing it gets in there. <laughs> I was just thinking that I was like, this has to be R, right? They definitely say fuck a few times, I think. Yeah, I think this is before like it was a definite thing where like you only get one F word in a PG-13 movie or that kind of thing. Uh, like, I feel like okay. that's something that kind of really started to come into play in the 2000s. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think in this, like, you know, you can push it too far, <laughs> but you, right. can, you can get away with a decent amount. Like, as long as, like, that's the only, like, objectionable thing in your movie, I think you can kind of get away with a little bit more language than uh, you might be otherwise today. Uh, Interesting. But, yeah, they all have this, like, big fight in the store. They're, like, literally just fighting this giant purple dinosaur, like, costume uh, yeah. in the store. They're, like, turning his head around, and he's still shouting. It's like a hockey fight. Yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly. Uh, like pinning him down to the ground and all that stuff. And the, and the thing is still shouting at them the entire time. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty great. This is probably like the highlight of the movie for me, honestly. Like this Arnie scene is pretty good. <laughs> forget it. Forget it. He's someone pathetic in a dinosaur suit. Come on. There's please. children around here. Oh, yeah, forget please. it. Forget it. Come on. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so no. long, you fat ass pussy. That's it. No. Yes. Honey. Uh-oh. No. No. Honey. Oh, come on. Honey. Come on. Honey. No, wiener. No. <laughs> Gail and uh, Rebecca see them and they're like, what are you guys doing? And Marty's like, oh, I'm coming. They're like, oh, gee. And then they just get yeah. up and leave. There's no, there's no police action. There's nobody like coming by to be like, you beat up a person. Yeah. And Arnie is just like, oh, go on back to mommy, you pansy. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, what is happening? What is this movie? What's going on? Yeah. So now we're about three months into the pregnancy. And, you know, they're at Rebecca and uh, Sam are at like a restaurant. And Rebecca's like, uh, oh, you know, I know it's been three months. We haven't really had sex in a while. Maybe tonight we could fool around. And Hugh Grant's like, check, please. And he runs like back to the hotel <laughs> <Yeah>. room. <laughs> <laughs> he like runs out of his clothes. It's like a Looney Tunes. <laughs> it's just a cloud of smoke. Left yeah. behind. Uh, and so they're in the hotel room and uh, Rebecca does this like sexy strip tease. Let's get it on. But Marvin Gaye is playing. And then record scratch. <laughs> Like, Freeze frame. Like a, li- yeah. a literal record scratch happens on the soundtrack yeah. uh, because the baby moved in her stomach and she's like, oh, my God, the baby moved and all that stuff. And then she decides she doesn't want to have sex before talking to a doctor about whether it's OK to do that while you're pregnant, uh, mm-hmm. which, which which was also a plot point in uh, in Knocked Up. I don't know if it was a plot point, but it was a joke in that movie where they're I, yes. they like trying to have sex and Seth Rogen's like freaked out about it. And he's just like, like I feel like I'm poking it. This is very strange. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that I think Julianne Moore even like says that in this movie. Like, yeah. What if or something a lot to that effect. But I do I do like the kind of button on that scene when she's just like, OK, let's just lay here and we'll feel the baby move. And Hugh Grant's like, yeah, yeah, that'll be just as fun. Then uh, fade out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so now we're five months into the pregnancy uh, and it kind of fades into uh, Sam and uh, Jeff Goldblum playing tennis. Uh, and I guess yes. the girl from Sex and the City is also there uh, yeah. <laughs> playing tennis. And, uh, you know, Sam has, just has this huge freak out meltdown thing. And, you know, he's telling Goldblum about it. And I guess he's telling Goldblum for the first time that Rebecca is pregnant because uh, Goldblum right. seems kind of surprised, uh, even though it's five months in now. And Goldblum suggests an abortion. It's like it's five months in. It's too late, which is actually like considering how much misleading information about abortions there is out there today in 2020 and about how, you know, you see like right wing conspiracy stuff where it's like, you know, late term abortions, nine months in, you can still have them and stuff. It's yeah, like that post birth abortions like that. Right. It's not a, like what are you talking? None about? of that exists at all. And so it's kind of like like watching this, you know, mainstream comedy from 1995 being like, yeah, five months in. That's impossible. You can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, kind of interesting just to just to watch that. But uh, yeah, and this is when Goldblum kind of has his big emotional scene, too. Like he only has a couple scenes in this movie. But uh, I think in this scene, it's where he's like, you know, my life is a big pile of shit. Uh, 
<laughs> like, yeah. Which he actually, and you know, which recalls his line in Jurassic Park, which is very weird. Uh, where he's just <laughs> like, oh, that is one big pile of shit. Like, if, it, it, like picture Jeff Goldblum looking at a pile of shit, but seeing his life reflected back at him. And that's what his Whoa. character uh, is going through in this movie. Uh, yeah, Goldblum, you know, doesn't like what his life is anymore. He wants Christine back. He's thinking maybe he does want to be a father uh, and all that stuff. It's it's a pretty solid emotional scene from Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, yeah, I think he does a really good job here. And that this was one of those moments, too, where I was like, these two guys together seem pretty similar, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, like as actors and like characters and stuff, which makes sense. Sure. It, uh, it's pretty it's just cool to see them next to each other. And I think it is interesting, too, with Goldblum, like, you know, fully in supporting ensemble man role here. Uh, with another kind of like, I mean, it does, I guess it kind of bombs, not bombs, maybe, but does critically okay, bomb, yeah. Uh, where like he gets to be the lead in Hideaway and then he's like, nope, you got to go back to being like, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're in this movie guy. You're right. Although, you know, he will be the lead again uh, in a movie that you're very much looking forward to. Uh, the Lost World Jurassic Park, which which, which is a surprise nine months reunion. Uh <laughs> Because yeah. Julianne Moore plays uh, Goldblum's ex-wife in that movie. Uh, Look at that. Yeah. Well, I bet now, now that you're watching Lost World, you're going to be like, huh. Now, every time I watch this, it's going to be like, hey, nine months reunion. <laughs> yeah. There it is. It's the fourth movie in the, the artist quadrilogy. <laughs> do you think Jeff Goldblum is an artist in Lost World? Is he? I mean, you know that movie better than I do. Is he like some kind of like. I'm, try, I'm trying to say okay. that it's a sequel to nine months. <laughs> OK, I got you. <laughs> I see what you're saying. I'm going to watch the movie and find out that Jeff Goldblum's like a sculptor or something in the <laughs> Lost World. And I forgot about that in the 10 years since I've seen it. Uh, but, yes. uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, they have this big emotional scene for Goldblum and then Sam realizes he's missed their ultrasound appointment. Uh, and, you know, he promised her he would be there. And so he's like freaking out and he's rushing to get there. Uh, but he gets there about 15 minutes after Rebecca left. Uh, yes. And the doctor tells him that he's having a boy. And he takes a tape home of the ultrasound and it's the moment like you can see it in his face. And it's, I think it's a solid acting moment from Hugh Grant. It's the moment where he realizes he actually does want kids. <laughs> yeah. Know? Which is right after she walks out. Yeah, exactly. It's it's literally like, you know, he, they hand him the tape and they tell him it's a boy. And it's like, it's a boy. Like, they, like they, yeah. the reality of it, like comes crashing down on him. And he's like, wow, OK, that's it's wild. Uh, and yeah, he goes home. But Rebecca is packing a bag and leaving uh, and she's staying at the Dwyer's and she's you know leaving him and saying she's going to raise the child alone and all that stuff. And so you see like a scene of like Sam watching the tape alone and he sees like the little heartbeat and he's like, you know, like gushing over it and freaking out. And, you know, yeah. he's realizing he wants the kid. He wants the kid now. You know, now that she doesn't want to be with him, he wants the kids. Yeah. Conflict. Yeah. It's like an hour into the movie at this point. And then it's like, well, OK, I guess we have to do this now. Uh, you know, right. it's sort of how it feels. Which is fine, I guess. Yeah. So uh, he, do he does go to the Dwyer's, which is where she's staying. And uh, Marty won't let him in. And uh, the result is actually my favorite exchange in the movie. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, is, me too. This is the funniest joke in the entire movie. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, Marty is like at the door and uh, Hugh Grant standing there next to him and he won't let him in. Uh, he's like, listen, I would love to. But, uh, you know, if Gail finds out that I let you in, like I'm going to be in the doghouse. I can't let that happen. Uh, and you hear Gail off screen being like, who are you talking to? It's like, it's my mother. Your mother's dead. I know. <laughs> No, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> he slams the door in his face. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, before it's before the that, uh, which uh, this was a moment too, where like that kind of redeemed like Tom Arnold's character for me. Cause he is just like the wacky, silly madcap guy. Yeah. But he has a moment of self-awareness there, like in that exchange right before that, I think before she says, but your mother's dead. Uh, he's like, you know, I'd be in the doghouse and then I'd have to move in with you. And like, you're a great kisser and all, but I can't do that, <laughs> yeah. um, which is very funny. And it was like the kind of like self-aware moment that like he knows he's the silly, wacky guy. Yeah. 
kind of thing, which I was like, oh, actually, you know what? I think I might like Marty in this now. Because yeah. before up to this point, he's just kind of annoying. Sure. Uh, and funny. But I was like, OK. I feel but like, yeah. I feel and like then every character in this movie kind of alternates between annoying and funny at different points. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's 100 percent correct. Uh, Yeah. So after that, you know, Sam is like reeling from the breakup and he's trying to figure out, you know, what his life is now and all that stuff. And he's hanging out with Jeff Goldblum once again. uh, And they're hanging out like, you know, overlooking the river, seeing the Golden Gate Bridge and stuff like that. And Goldblum is painting. He's like painting like what he's seeing. uh, And he realizes like, you know, he's he's looking at it and he's like, what do you think of this? And he's like, it's like, oh, I didn't know you were uh, catering to the hotel room market now. And which is yeah. a pretty like dick line to say to somebody who's you're trying to get comfort you. Um, yeah. <laughs> but Goldblum sees it. and He's like, you're right. Yeah, I, I can practically smell the room service uh, on, <laughs> on this painting. Uh, and, you know, he's disgusted with himself and he's painting this drivel and he tosses it into the ocean. <laughs> Dr- yeah, dramatically in artist fashion. <laughs> I forget what he says, like sleep with the fishes or some shit. He has like some funny goofy Goldblum line and he throws it off the uh, into the bay. Yeah. Yeah. And then he has that that fun ex- that like pretty good exchange where he's like, you know, don't worry, me and you are going to get through this. This is like the, and then we have like the montage like in <laughs> Earth Girls Are Easy where they have like the the makeover montage. <laughs> um, <laughs> I but, mean, this, this definitely could have been a musical number. It feels like it should have yeah. been. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a missed opportunity. Um, but he has that thing. He's like, first, first, you just have to smile, like, you know, and then Hugh Grant has like this big, cheesy, like fake over the top smile. And he's like, well, yeah. that's hideous, but it's a start. Um, <laughs> it's pretty good. Yes. Yeah, so they have a montage where uh, Hugh Grant and Jeff Goldblum, they get earrings. I think Goldblum already has an earring, but Hugh Grant gets yeah. one. Uh, they're like roller skating <laughs> across San Francisco. <laughs> uh, it was a pretty funny moment where, uh, you know, they're kind of like Hugh Grant's like off balance and he's not figuring it out. Right. And Goldblum like leaves him to go flirt with this uh, girl that like just walks up uh, and Hugh Grant just like starts rolling down the street in San Francisco. Uh, which, yeah. If you've ever been to San Francisco, uh, very hilly city. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lots of hills. Uh, when I went there, I was there uh, last year uh, when I was at Warp Tour. Uh, and, you know, we we kind of had a couple of hours to explore the city of San Francisco a little bit. Uh, and we went to the city hall, which was cool. I think I mentioned that in our Invasion of the Body Snatchers episode because the, I think so. that, take, that is in uh, the movie. Uh, and so when we went to city hall after that, we we're like, OK, well, there's a yeah, we want to check out like seaside area and stuff and like, you know, sort of see if we can see the Golden Gate Bridge. Like, cool. Uh, should we Uber there? No, I think we can walk it. De- never walk <laughs> in San Francisco. Anywhere. Anywhere, but especially in San Francisco, which is entirely uphill. No matter what hill yeah. you're going on, it's uphill, unless you're skating down it, in which case you're going to die. <laughs> yeah, and then you're Hugh Grant and you end up in a moving van. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, Hugh Grant uh, falls down the streets, pretty funny. And then there's a scene where they go to a party. I'm not sure if it was at Hugh Grant's house because his cat is there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Which is also the only time you see the cat in the movie. He makes such a big deal about like, you know, not wanting to get rid of the cat. You never see the cat except for this scene. <laughs> but it's also full of Goldblum's art. So like, I have no idea where this is supposed to be. Right. Yeah. So maybe it's just another cat. That's also <laughs> that's also I guess so. Yeah. Uh, but they're at a party and uh, this blonde uh, girl kind of sees Sam from a distance and she like is eyeing him and uh, she's like walking over towards him. He's trying to get him to dance. She picks up the cat and throws it across the room. <laughs> that was very funny moment. <laughs> that was pretty solid. She's, she's like, oh, do you want to dance? And he's like, oh, no, no, I can't. And she's like, don't be such a stiff. It just like eats the cat out of his lap. <laughs> Hilarious. Right. And so he uh, dances with her a little bit and he gives her a ride home uh, and she invites him up for coffee. Uh, and he's like, oh, oh no, I, I couldn't possibly. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly do that. And then she's like, would you like to come up for sex? 
And it's like, oh, oh, oh get, getting straight to the point there. Oh, I, I see. Um, <laughs> but uh, but he ultimately declines. He thinks about it for a second. Uh, yeah. But he declines and, uh, you know, because he's still, you know, hurting from the Rebecca breakup. And then you see him at home. I mean, it, it stays in the car for like a minute, too. Like, she's just kind of staring at him as he after he says no. And then she's like, yeah. OK, bye. <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> <laughs> Which I feel like that line I've heard before. Like, maybe that's the only popular culture impact this movie has had is that specific exchange. Yeah. I feel like I've seen that like recreated somewhere. Maybe there's just a different version of it in some, in some capacity, yeah. you know, I remember there is like a pretty famous Seinfeld episode where George Costanza does not go upstairs uh, when she asks if, do you want to come up for coffee? And then she gets upset and leaves and she's like, and then he, afterwards he realizes like coffee isn't coffee. Coffee means sex. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Maybe that's it. <laughs> that that could possibly uh, be it. But yeah, so he he leaves and you see like, you know, he's in his bed. Rebecca's in her bed and kind of like, you know, they're separately reading uh, what to expect when you're expecting. Uh, and now it's Halloween and he goes to Marty's car lot to buy a new car. Uh, he's like officially giving up the Porsche and he's buying the new car to show Rebecca that he is responsible and he's ready for this kind of thing. Right. Uh, and, you know, he he loves the Porsche. It's like his baby. He's talked about it all movie. And so it's, it's a very heartbreaking thing for him to do, but he's doing it. And, you know, while he's there, he decides, you know what? Uh, let me babysit your kids, Marty. Then, you know, that I, I can prove to Rebecca that I'm good with children or something. And then you get like five seconds of him with the kids, like at the park, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's like it's it's such a weird thing where like you talk about him alternating between being an asshole and being heartfelt because it's like it's a real thing he's doing, right? Like he goes there, he's going to sell a car, he's going to buy a family car, he's going to sell his Porsche, I mean. Yeah. And then immediately he comes up with this like harebrained scam to like trick Rebecca into liking him. And it's like, <laughs> well, if you just bought the car, maybe you'd be enough. Right. Uh, but then he's got to like muscle Marty into agreeing to let him babysit his kids and stuff. It's like, yeah, you were so close to being me having me completely on your side. And now I'm not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so they're he's babysitting the kids in the park and they're all nightmares and they're kicking him in the back of the head when they're on the swings and stuff yeah. like that. You know, wacky hijinks ensue. Uh, and then Marty shows up and tells him that uh, Rebecca's actually in the hospital. There was a complication with the pregnancy. And so he rushes out there to the hospital and she's fine. As soon as he arrives, like he sees Gail and she's like, she's OK. She doesn't want to see you. <laughs> Um, yeah. But he's like, oh, please, please let me in. And so she does. Uh, and he explains to Rebecca, that, like, I've changed, baby. Like, I <laughs> <laughs> come on, baby. Uh, you know, he tells her he sold the car and all that stuff. And, you know, I, I was such a fool before. I love you and I want the baby and all that stuff. And and in this moment, he actually proposes to Rebecca. He has a ring for her and, you know, she like, you know, freaks out. It's, you know, something she's wanted for a long time. And so she decides, yes, on one condition, lose the earring. <laughs> <laughs> that Goldblum got him before and he's like yes yes good, definitely and so they you know kiss and then next shot they cut away to their wedding they get married yeah roll credits yeah th that's what it seems like they, they cut <laughs> yeah. away they're you know, walking out of the church all their fr friends are there this is the last time you see Jeff Goldblum I think too kind of in the uh, I think so in the crowd uh, for this wedding uh, and so yeah they're all there they get married Sam has set up a baby room in the house and all that stuff uh, and it feels like, OK, movie's wrapping up. Let's have like five minutes left, a little bit of epilogue where you have the baby and then roll credits. We're done. Uh, and no, there's like another half hour of the movie. to go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, and this is where it really like runs out of steam. But like also like the stuff in this last half hour is mostly entertaining. It's just tacked on. It doesn't need to be there. <laughs> yeah, this should have this like should be the funniest bits of the movie. And I think the Robin Williams stuff is for me. But at the, ultimately, it's like. All right. 
Like, come on. Yeah. I was having some fun, but like when it, it starts to drag 20 minutes after the ending, you know? Right. I think I think narratively, if you had if you had pushed like the proposal slash wedding until the very end of the movie uh, and instead had like, you know, some kind of happenstance where he ran into Rebecca and, you know, she, you know, her water breaks and he's the one who has to bring her to the hospital and that kind of thing. And all the same stuff can still happen. But like narratively, it would make more sense if like they got back together right as that happened. You know, like, yeah, like they have the baby and they realize they love each other and they get married and all that stuff. Like if they have if they had agreed to like meet for dinner to like reconcile and then this all happened. Yeah, um, because the whole thing is like the madcapness of like her water breaking the hostess being the blonde girl from the party and then she right. cuts her hand on purpose and like that whole thing is fun yeah sure it is it is fun i was a little annoyed when the blonde girl showed up because it was just one of those things was like okay now we're just adding extra conflict for no reason to the movie. yeah you know i think i think what i think what i'm saying is like there's his arc is done in the movie like, it, like as, yeah. as soon as he proposes to Rebecca and like he's he's fully accepted his roles. Like he wants to have a kid and stuff like that. His arc is over. And then there's still like 25 to 30 minutes left of high change. Yeah. Uh, and if they had like weaved that more successfully into his arc, I think nine months would actually be a little bit better as a movie as a result. Um, but yeah, so they get married and they're out at dinner. And yeah, Lily, the girl from the party, she is the hostess. And boy, is it awkward. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yikes. She's the worst, actually, it turns out. <laughs> yeah. She is, uh, you know, like they get there and uh, Hugh Grant's like talking to her. It's like, oh, could you could you please sit us at a table? And she like sees, uh, you know, Rebecca and that she's pregnant and stuff like that. And as they're walking to the table, uh, Rebecca's water breaks. And in the commotion, uh, like Lily, like takes a glass and like slices it against her hand. And it's like, oh, now I have to go to the hospital, too. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. Like, it's just a weird, like extra thing that's happening here. And so now all three of them are in the same car going to the hospital, uh, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Well, it's a pretty funny situation. And there's a pretty like solid thing where she's like, so when did you sell the Porsche? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. and he you know, like freaks out. And Julianne Moore's like, I know it. And she's like, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And they, you know, are arguing back and forth. And as they're arguing, which, by the way, Hugh Grant might be the worst driver in the world in this. Uh, it, he never once looks at the road. Yeah, exactly. He's like always like rummaging through and going through the glove compartment <laughs> and like looking back, <laughs> all that stuff. Like he was bad before when he almost crashed the car uh, into the bulldozer. <laughs> Yeah, you know, this is like times 10. This is way worse. And so as they're driving and he's like rummaging through stuff and arguing with uh, Julianne Moore, uh, they nearly hit an old couple in the middle of the street. Yeah. And, and the the old guy has a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now we're adding the old couple to the car. Yep. Uh, and so they're like, you know, uh, still furiously driving to the hospital and stuff like that. And then. Uh, also, as a quick side note, there's a, a fun uh, Chris Columbus Easter egg here where there's a movie theater showing Home Alone 7. Uh, yeah, pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. I think a joke that might have landed better if it was like a few like a few years down the line. You know, if there was still like because at that point there were only two Home Alone movies. <laughs> right. You know, it wasn't like, you know, in uh, Back to the Future Part 2 when you have Jaws 19 uh, and they were like kind of coming out with Jaws movies at a regular pace at that point you know what I mean? Right. There had been four Jaws movies and it seemed like there could be more now it's just like okay there's been two Home Alone movies they were huge and now Home Alone 7 jump right to that <laughs> yeah uh, it's, a fun, it's a funny like in joke for Chris Columbus fans though so there's that but yeah so the old couple's in the car and then you know they're arguing with them again now and like everybody's like yelling back and forth and then they hit a bike messenger <laughs> right 
who breaks his leg. And so now he's getting in the car, too. Uh, so now you got this like entirely packed car. They finally get to the hospital and they're like scrambling out of there. Uh, and Hugh Grant like grabs a wheelchair. There's an old lady in the middle of the door and he has to like, just pick her up and move her uh, <laughs> because she's yeah. so slow. Uh, just- I like this. I, I like the moment right when they pull up to the to the hospital and he's like you to like the ambulance EMS guys. Yeah. And he's like, I got a woman in labor, a woman that needs stitches, an old man with a heart attack and a guy with a broken leg. And they're just like looking at each other like, uh, uh right. what? <laughs> I think it is a little weird that you never see, uh, once you reintroduce Lily, the, uh, the waitress, uh, or whatever, it's a little weird that you never see her again after that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She like just dies and disappears, I guess. <laughs> Everyone in that car is dead. Yeah. I, they might as well be. It seemed like a very poorly run hospital. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, they get to the hospital. They move an old lady out of the door. Uh, Rebecca's wheelchair goes flying down the hallway. Yeah. Uh, and turns out the doctor who was supposed to deliver their baby is on vacation because uh, their baby was uh, they're like two weeks early or whatever on the, on right. the due date. Uh, and the only doctor on call is Robin Williams. You guessed it, baby. Dr. Kosevich is back and it's his very first time delivering a baby. So, you know, hijinks are going to ensue. And they do. <laughs> very good. Very and that reveal, honestly. Not that not the reveal that it's Robin Williams, but the reveal when he's like, as you can see, it's a full moon. Women are just spitting out babies, which is okay. <laughs> and he's like, we're double booked. So I got you in a room with somebody that's also having a baby. Yep. And then Tom Arnold like rips the curtain it's back. The and fucking, he's like, hey, stranger. It's the fucking Dwyer's again. <laughs> <laughs> baby, they really should name this nine Dwyer's. <laughs> Dwyer months. There probably is about like nine Dwyer reveals in the movie. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So I think you are kind of right about that. But uh, yeah, but the Dwyers are in the same room having their baby delivered too. Uh, you know, Robin Williams is yelling out words and he's Russian. So he doesn't know English as well as uh, yeah. as everybody. And he's like, give her an enema. It's <laughs> like enema, uh, pedicure, epidural is the word he was looking for. Uh, and he's like, oh, yes, uh, I should get a clitoris. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's like you mean a thesaurus you dummy <laughs> pretty solid yeah it's basically just the Marx Brothers routine between him uh, and Robin Williams and Grant, one nurse yeah and Tom Arnold yeah uh, and so yeah Dr. Kosevich pretty incompetent at his job uh, both uh, once the epidural comes out Sam faints at the sight of it uh, yeah. and then he's like oh see that's why the men aren't as strong as the women and then Dr. Kosevich also faints at the sight of the epidural yeah. Which is pretty funny, you know, a very big, like, you know, playing to the cheap seats eye roll that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that Hugh Grant does, and, oh, and <laughs> falls down. Uh, and then, yeah, Marty is taping the whole thing. He's got this video camera, and he's, like, pushing it in Julianne Moore's face. He, like, goes under the... Yeah, goes under the blanket uh, right into where the baby's coming out. And so Sam, like, you know, wakes up from his fainting thing and he takes the camera and smashes it. And then the two of them get into like this giant fight. (laughs) Yeah, like the Arnie fight. Yeah, it's like the Arnie fight, except without the purple dinosaur. So it's a little less funny. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and at this point, it is just like, OK, this is like one hijink too many. We have to, we have to wrap this up. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, they're in a big fight. And then turns out Marty and Gail, their baby is born. They have a girl. Marty thought they were having a boy. But it turns out it's a fourth girl for them. Yep. Well, he but he got the cowboy stuff already. He's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, how is she going to play for the 49ers? Uh yeah. Yeah. So they have a girl and then Sam and Rebecca's baby boy is born. Uh, you know, Julia Moore's like, we're a family and all that stuff. And it's a very nice, heartwarming moment. And uh, <laughs> I just remembered uh, there's the moment where where so like the Dwyer's daughter is born and he gives it the baby to the mom. And he's like, you have it. You have a daughter. And she's like, are you sure? And he's like, well, unless I cut the wrong thing. Uh, <laughs> just 
<laughs> so, oh, Robin Williams. Yeah. So some solid Robin Williams stuff uh, in this yeah. movie, for sure. Uh, and yeah, so Dr. Kosovich also like the, so like a few hours later go by or whatever. And you see Sam and Marty kind of looking at the babies in the uh, in the, you know, display room or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you call that room. <laughs> I haven't had a baby, Mike. I don't know the procedures. <laughs> I I also am in the same thing where I was like, I have no idea what that's called. <laughs> it's got, it's the display They're in the display case. <laughs> <laughs> they're in the Ikea shelves. Right. <laughs> so they're looking at the babies on display. And Robin Williams shows up and he's drunk. He's like, you know, celebrating the fact that he uh, successfully delivered a couple of babies. And he's like, all right, I'm, uh, I've been having a couple of drinks. All right. Now I got to go circumcise your son. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and he goes into the display room <laughs> and, and uh, you know, Sam and Tom Arnold chase after him and it's, Oh, uh, and stuff like that. Uh, and then from there, uh, you kind of cut back uh, it's a couple days later and uh, they're, you know, in bed at night at home and uh, the baby is crying and Sam's like, oh, I'll get it. And he goes and checks on the baby and he puts music on and he's kind of like swaying with it. And Rebecca like looks lovingly at him and they all slow dance as a family. And then the movie ends. That's the end of the movie. Yeah. Took a long time to get there, but <laughs> but like it's pretty good, I guess. It's fine. It's not as bad as people make it out to be. I think it is a little much a lot of yeah. the time. Uh, I think Hugh Grant is annoying a lot of the time, and like it's. I don't think it's his performance is that bad. Like I think he's actually pretty good in the movie. It's just I think he's miscast maybe, or the movie just like the writing for that character is really bad. Really yeah. bad. I don't know exactly, uh, but I think it's a more watchable movie than I have been led to believe. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with my like zero reputation of it, the way that you kind of set it up for me, like, you know, the same way you said that, like, it seems like it's going to be awful and it's it's fine. It's whatever. Yeah, it's OK. Uh, you get the end credits, which show baby photos for all the main actors in the movie. Yeah, uh, I get, get a little baby Goldblum who has as much hair as normal. Goldblum he looks exactly the same. It's very strange. <laughs> yeah, he just like grew into the looks, I guess, or whatever. Like, it's yeah, it's just everyone like, else. Is like you're just a small potato and you're right. like, oh, no, that's Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> he's wearing his red jacket from between the lines. He's got, <laughs> he's got everything. Uh, yeah, you get the little baby Goldblum photo. And then, of course, it's the post credit scene where the serial killer comes back to life. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I did watch it to the end just in case this time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, there's no there's no post credit scene for nine months. That is the end of this movie. So final thoughts, Mike. It's all right. Yeah. Big old shrug, you know? <laughs> OK, <laughs> no, it's it's fine. Yeah, totally acceptable. Like, I'm probably not going to watch it ever again. But if I did, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so here's some letterbox reviews for nine months. Kind of get through these real quick. Uh, first off, of course, we have a two and a half star review from our friend, the Poetic Critic, uh, which reads. I'm cheating somewhat here. I saw this flick when it was new on one fair afternoon with family. Would I have deigned to pick it on my own? I doubt it. Watch it soon. If it were more convenient, that I might. But I have other fish to fry right now. It was OK. Amusing. But a night rewatching it would not have me say, wow. <laughs> that is one thing. This uh, is surprisingly not available. Yeah. Also, that's uh, we we kind of mentioned this before, but, you know, we were I, I don't think we mentioned this yet on the podcast, actually, but we were talking about it last week, like looking for this movie. Uh, and we're like, oh, it's got to be available, like even just to rent or something, even if it's not a streaming yeah. service. It's a Hugh Grant, uh, Chris Columbus movie. Come on. Yeah, this was a Chris Columbus comedy, you know, a couple of years after even Mrs. Doubtfire, big star vehicle in the mid 90s. Like this should be an easily accessible movie. Uh, and it's possible there's, you know, a DVD or a Blu-ray or something out there. We didn't really look for that, but just on streaming services. 
nothing. There's no, yeah. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing. No, not, not available to stream anywhere. You can't rent it on Amazon or YouTube or anything like that. Uh, so we had to go through some extra legal means to uh, to get this movie. Tubi couldn't <laughs> even save us. <laughs> And Tubi is always our last resort. It's Tubi and Pluto, Pluto TV. <laughs> I've literally it. never used Tubi. That's how last of a resort it is. <laughs> I've used Pluto TV once for uh, Beyond Therapy. Oh, yes. Uh, which uh, which also like that. <laughs> Pluto was weird because it adds uh, commercials into the movie uh, when you're watching it. And so uh, I think I remember I mentioned this on our Beyond Therapy episode, but there's the one scene where like I think it's <laughs> Christopher Guest shoots the therapist or something. Yes, yeah. Uh, and it cuts a commercial before and then, <laughs> and then it comes back and then it revealed that the uh, the bullets were blanks. Or whatever. Yeah, you had like a Dallas Twin Peaks finale. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was very distressing. It turned into a very different movie <laughs> for 30 seconds in my mind. Uh, but but all right, let's uh, next uh, letterbox review here. It's a two and a half star review from Caitlin, which reads. I watched like half of this. Here's my review. I found God when I saw Jeff Goldblum's single left earring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that tracks. <laughs> That's totally fair. Here's a three and a half star review from Joe Lola, which reads, I wish Hugh Grant and Jeff Goldblum were my gay dads. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. If, if I could cast anyone to play my parents in a film based on my life, I would fictionalize just that part and turn them into gay dads who love each other, played by Jeff and Hugh, instead of these uh, divorced straight parents they are uh, in this movie. So <laughs> wow. there you go. There's a three and a half star review from Joe Lolo. Here's a two star review from Hank Mardukas. Uh, and this is the last one I got. It reads. Hugh thinks his performance sucks and ruined the movie. And yes, he's been better. But this script sucks. and I don't think any other actor would have improved it. I was never upset watching him. And now we know it was just practice for how amazing he would be in Paddington 2, 22 years later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if anything, at least we got Paddington 2 from this. <laughs> in a roundabout sort of way. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. One of these days I'm going to watch Paddington 2. I've heard it's amazing. I, like, I've, heard, I've heard nothing but incredible things about Paddington 2. And I just never saw it. I don't know. It was. <laughs> did you see Paddington? No, I never saw the first one, which is also Good. part of the reason why I never saw the second one. Because uh, I got to watch the first one first. Um, but you know, I know many people who are big Paddington fans. Uh, it's just one of those things. That, like our our buddy uh, Nick Wormuth, who has been on the other podcast, Mike might go to the movies a few times. Huge Paddington two fan. Uh, yeah. Called called it his number one movie of that year, uh, and it was like a pretty big like critic favorite and stuff. I just. I never saw it. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, yeah, same. Never got uh, around to it. Yeah, one of these days. Maybe the next Mike Makes Mike Watch should be uh, Paddington 2. I definitely wasn't just adding notes down anywhere. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I played the fifth. I mean, if you made me do that, I got to watch the first one first. I got to watch both. It'd be a, a double feature. But uh, but yeah, we'll we'll figure that out. Uh, all right. So that's going to be uh, the end of this week's episode of the Jeff Goldblum Complete Works podcast. That is nine months. Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can find me online at M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thanks so much for listening to The Complete Works. I'm Mike Smith. That's Mike Decretio. Uh, Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can hit us up at JeffGoldblumCompleteWorks at gmail.com. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside the totally original Geek News Podcast, a podcast about comic books and movie news and all that nerdy stuff. And you can follow this podcast on Twitter. Twitter at Goldblum Pod. Uh, our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own podcast themes at Kyle's Podcast Themes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. Join us next week on Complete Works. Uh, Jeff Goldblum appears in a movie from a pretty despicable director uh, who nevertheless continued to find success making movies. Uh, it's oh, no. 
It's a uh, Victor Salva's powder. Do you know who Victor Salva is, Mike? He's the guy who did a uh, Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, we're gonna have to go into that backstory uh, yeah. in next week's episode, which is kind of a bummer, uh, especially because as we kind of discussed uh, off air, that will probably be our last Go Bloom Pod of the year. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, so there's that. Going out on a high note. Um, uh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. No. I think uh, for next week, uh, next week will be the last one for 2020 because the week after that, uh, we're planning a pretty big episode of Mike and Mike Go to the Movies where we review Wonder Woman 1984 uh, and then the week after that it's going to be uh, you know our big kind of top 10 of the year ish episode <laughs> we'll see how that yeah. what, whatever the form that's going to take it'll be kind of a year in review of 2020 and the stuff that we watched this past year and all that stuff so kind of the last week of December first week of January we're taking a little bit of time off for a gold bloom but we will be back next week with powder so hey we got that going for us uh, <laughs> and keep listening for our bonus episodes of Mike and Mike go to the movies thanks so much for listening guys and remember to go for the gold bloom <laughs>